we, we thank you. That we can do is some, something as simple as open a book and have our hearts moved, have our hearts cut, like in a good way, have our eyes taken off everything that matters little and put on you that who matter much. I pray, Lord, I would not be a hindrance. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray that I would not be a hindrance. Lord, in you doing what you want to do with the men, the women, and the children gathered here today. Lord, I pray the same thing for the Sunday school, the youth group, those meeting outside the church, the nursery. Would you do that work in them, but also all the churches in the Boston area today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Verse 32 says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Most of you are familiar with the Garden of Eden. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Eden. We don't have as much description as I would like, but it was possibly the most extraordinarily beautiful place that has ever existed on planet Earth. The place that was made by God for man. Matthew 25, Jesus says right before he, he basically, um, he, he's actually returned. Jesus came once to die for our sins, be our Savior. He's coming again for judgment to establish his kingdom. And he tells the people, his followers, people have committed their lives to him. Okay, come in. Come into the kingdom which I have prepared for you. He also prepared the Garden of Eden for us. He prepared it for Adam. He prepared it for Eve. And it was that place where man was in a relationship with God where there was perfect love, joy, just characterized by simplicity, a simple obedience to God. It also became the place of temptation. The place where man was tempted. Man was given to, by God to enjoy every fruit of the garden except for one fruit, the, the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. 
fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil, and, and that one fruit he was not allowed. Every, anything else was his. After some period of time, we don't know how long, the serpent, we know from the book of Revelation, was either possessed by the devil or was the devil. I don't know exactly what the details were, but the serpent approached Eve's and, Eve and said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you can be like God. You can be like God. Like God. And she took the fruit and she ate it. She gave it to Adam. He ate it too. Sin entered the world. And that's the very heart of sin, yours and mine. To be a God substitute. To replace God. He has a role that he wants in our lives, but we take it. That is sin at just the most basic level. After that, Genesis 3, the judgment of God comes in. That perfect relationship with God shattered. The curse came with it, death. Fast forward at least 4,000 years, the Garden of Gethsemane where we are in Mark chapter 14. A different garden, also a place of temptation. A temptation so powerful, so vast, you could call this temptation devastating, except it wasn't for this one man. Anyone else wouldn't have survived 10 seconds. But Jesus Christ went through it victorious. And what was lost? Listen, Calvary Chapel, really important. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. What was lost in the first temptation in the Garden of Eden was all won back here in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was won back by Jesus Christ who stood in the garden in your place. That's you. You stood in your place in the garden. And suffered that temptation and was victorious in it. Now, two Sundays ago, uh, in Mark 14, we studied what is called the Last Supper, what could also be called the First Communion. It was the last meal that Jesus had with his 12 apostles. The following morning, he would be crucified. Last Sunday, a week ago, we were in verses 27 through 31, and then we had to skip forward, where in that walk between Jerusalem, where the upper room, the Last Supper was, um, in the walk between Jerusalem and the Garden of Gethsemane, where we um, are today, Jesus, where Jesus is, is going to be arrested, he's a temptation, and then, then he's going to be arrested. Uh, and um, on that walk, we saw last week, uh, Jesus told his disciples, tonight, all of you are going to abandon me. You're all, you will be made to stumble, fall away. You're going to abandon me. And all of them said, uh, no, not us, not me, no, never. Peter got up and declared, even if everyone else uh, denies you, I will not. Jesus told Peter before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And as we saw uh, last week before the 
rooster crowed twice. Peter denied him three times. And we had to, again, we had to skip down to verse 72, um, where it, we saw Peter, when he realized what he did, he wept. And in the original Greek, the meaning is he wept and he wept and he wept and he wept. But again, so the Last Supper, they come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter and the disciples all swear they'll, they'll never forsake him. Uh, and, and so we pick up in verse 32. Again, it says, then they came to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the place of pressing or the oil press, you know, where the oil is pressed out In the middle of verse 32 and he said to his disciples sit here while I pray and then he took Peter James and John with him and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed he said to them my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he fell on the ground. In the book of Matthew, it says this, he went a little far, farther and he fell on his face. Jesus fell on his face. Again, verse 35, he went a little farther. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, nevertheless not what I will, but what you will. Please, what is happening? Take it away. What is about to happen? Take away. The cup that I'm going to drink, meaning the trial that I'm going to be in, Take it away from me. Please, if there's a way, take it away. Jesus knew that what would be happening to him would be the most severe trial, the most pain, excruciating, like I said, devastating to anyone in history. Father, if there's any way, in some way, except his face is on the ground, any way, let this cup pass away. Please, Father, please, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, please take it. Notice he calls him Abba, Father. It's only in the book of Mark, by the way. That's why we love this book. It has these little details. He calls him Abba, Father. That word Abba is a Hebrew word. This is written in Greek, it's the, although this word, Abba, is a Hebrew word. 
Because I know it's written in English. I mean, in the original translation, it's in Greek. And this and, and Abba, um, first time in the Bible, uh, that word Abba is used. It's a term of affection. It's a term of intimacy. It's a soul term. It, it's a, it means a soul that knows the the very soul of the other person. Ever hear the term soul mate? Um, well, here it is in the purest most perfect sense, Abba, Father. And again, you don't see this term used before in the Bible, applied from man to God. Why? Because that level of intimacy had been lost, where? In the Garden of Eden. God was impersonable. God was unknowable. God was up there, out there, somewhere. And although it is true that God had showed up in a measure of, he had showed a measure of who he was uh, to Israel, and Israel, to a certain measure, got to know God, that, that was not the case for the vast sea of humanity. God was supremely impersonable, uh, impersonal rather, and unknowable. But Calvary Chapel, listen, what was lost in the Garden of Eden was won back right here. After Jesus' crucifixion, burial, resurrection, he ascends into heaven, a new age begins. And I'm not talking about the new age in whatever, California, crystal balls. I, I'm talking about an age um, in, in, in which man, you can get to know God. You don't go into a cathedral and, and he's way up there somewhere, but you really don't know him. No, Jesus purchased something better for you that you can actually know the living God. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10 says, God created you so that you can know him. That's not talking about facts. It's about uh, knowing him as a person. To the point where you too can call him Abba Father, you guys know that, right? Some of you know your Bible well. Book of Romans. Paul says to the Roman church, he says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Thank God. I don't have to just be, stay in bondage to fear. Thank the Lord. What kind of spirit was I given? This says, in Paul, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. It says, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Same thing, that, that affection, dad, papa. There's really not a good English word. It's a soul term. Abba, Father. Jesus purchased for you. But it came at a huge price, a spectacular price, a price paid by Jesus Christ in Gethsemane and then from Gethsemane at every point on the way to the cross. Verse 36 again says, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, Simon, are you sleeping? 
could you not watch one hour? Really important, Calvary Chapel, that you understand. So from this point on to the crucifixion, he's all on his own. He's on his own from this point on. There's a wonderful uh, verse in the, um, in the book of Isaiah. The Jewish Bible, Isaiah 59, verse 16. You don't have to turn there. But in that verse, God is speaking. And he's looking down on humanity and just the incredible devastation of sin and evil. This is and, and, and he's looking down, and, and, and it's a wonderful thing about the Bible. Is that you can, it actually takes you into the mind of God. <laughs> so Isaiah 59, 16, God is looking down on the incredible devastation of sin and evil, and, and with, with that heart of love, wanting to save, wanting to redeem, wanting to get back, wanting to, 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 to uh, he loves, but wanting man to experience his love and love back and be loved. He's thinking to himself, who's going to save them? Who's going to save them? Is there anyone on planet Earth who can save mankind? Is there a, um, even one person that can save man? Even in the smallest way, is there even someone who can help? And this is what he says, Isaiah um, 59, verse 16. He says this, he, he says, he saw that there was no one he was appalled, meaning he was just aghast. He was like, oh, oh, whoa, you know, that kind of thing. That there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. So Jesus is on his own from this time on. Wonderful verse also in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 63.3. This is Jesus speaking. I have, tre I have trodden the winepress alone. You know, the, the, the wine press, speaking of the place where they used to jump up and down on grapes so that wine would, you know, the grape juice would, would, would come out. I, I have trodden the wine press alone, and from the peoples, no one was with me. He's on his own. His family had, biological family, had rejected him. His disciples will soon reject him. We'll see that next week. When he tried to explain to his disciples what his mission was, that he would have to suffer and die for them, Peter gets up in his face and says, no way that's going to happen. He will die on the cross alone. You, you know, you, you see the crucifixes. Some people wear crucifix and Jesus is, is on. You'll never see two people on that crucifix. There's only one. But there's a reason for that. It's that no man could help him. It, no man is capable of, uh, of, of helping him. The, the Bible says that man, that we were helpless to help God. G Jesus, everything that was necessary for you to um, be saved and enter into a relationship with God had to be done by God, not you. And so from this point on, and from Gethsemane on, he's alone. His disciples are sleeping. 
He had asked them to stay up. They had just been saying, I'll be with you. I'll stay with you. It didn't last very long. Does it? See, that's how we are in our own strength, huh? We don't go very far. Verse 37, again, he found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If you were not here last week, you should listen to that sermon. He's telling them, listen, you guys, you better pray, man. You're about to enter into a serious temptation. What temptation was that? The temptation to forsake the Lord. The temptation that you and you and you and all of you, me, we're all in every day. We have a, we're tempted to ditch God, Jesus Christ, by whatever Whatever form of sin, or denying him, or there's, you know, uh, uh, people talking about uh, Christians and who they are, and you shut your mouth and slip away, or you just, you know, there's a drug there, and you take the drug, or there's, there's an opportunity to cheat, and you, and you do, that, that's forsaking, that's forsaking God when you do that, and, and, and he's telling him, um, pray that you do not enter into temptation. Of course, Peter forgot about that part, right? He goes into the courtyard of the high priest where there's all these people antagonistic to, to Jesus and he goes in there uh, thinking that he's, uh, he's Peter. I'm Peter, I'm it, I'm, I'm the man. I'm like, everyone else falls, I won't. He goes in there, what happens? He denies th- uh, uh, Jesus three times. And Jesus had told him, pray lest you enter into temptation. Are you going to take the warning from the Lord today? Am I? I speak to my own heart, believe me. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. It's so much better when we choose to stick with Jesus. That's where the joy is. The great news is, is when we fall flat on our face, there's immediate forgiveness when we go back and say, Lord, I blew it. Please forgive me. It says that 1 John 1, 9, he'll cleanse you of the shame and unrighteousness associated with that. But um, he says, pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the, f- uh, the flesh is weak. And we read in Romans chapter six is that when we, get the, when we receive the spirit, which every Christian does, the spirit is more powerful than our flesh could ever be. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And the Spirit, we have the Spirit. He empowers and has given us victory over the flesh. Verse 39 says, Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. So a little help from the book of Matthew Remember, these, actually, this account is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's just so wonderful, by the way, when you read all of them together in your Bible study or whatever. Just when you're reading the Gospels, the great part is there's four, a lot of times, a lot of times there's three. It's told three times, sometimes four. This one's told four times. 
It says, the second time Jesus went away and prayed, saying, oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Matthew 26, 42. So I'm going to spend now for the remainder of our time, which won't be too long, but, but, but for the remainder of our time on this, please don't lose sight that at this point, Jesus is in tremendous agony in his soul. In fact, at this point, this is where Luke says this, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. That word earnestly means with power, if you look at the original Greek. Then he, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, there is a medical condition in which a human being in rare circumstances can be under such extreme stress that the capillaries, the blood capillaries, explode, causing uh, uh, blood and sweat to intermingle. That's what's going on here with Jesus. But it really does beg the question, and it's so important that you understand and that I get this, that we get it, we get it, we get it. It's told four times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for a reason, that we get it. Why is he in this agony? Why? There are, among other reasons, that I can count. There's probably more than I can count. Anything I say up here, you need to go to the Bible and make sure that what I'm saying is true and I'm not missing something, please. But there are at least six things why the, the, Jesus is in agony here. He's, he tells his disciples, you know, there's other verses in the Bible. He says, I give you my peace. And at one point he says he's overflowing with joy that the Father's revealing this things, uh, the things that he um, is teaching to babes. There's, there's times where Jesus is like that. But here, here he's saying, my soul is in agony. Even to the point of death, he's saying. What's going on? Why the agony? Again, if you're taking notes, number one, the sin of the world is coming upon Jesus. The sin of the world is coming upon Jesus. Kayo, if we can separate the numbers from the verses, I don't know if that's possible at this point, but... So this verse here in Isaiah 53, verse 6 says this. This is from, again, the Jewish Old Testament. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity. The iniquity is, it's not only things we do, it's just the gunk from which the bad things we do comes from. The place it comes from. That's our iniquity. And he's uh, somehow, this is why he's in agony. All your gunk is falling upon him at this point. It has started to happen, what's called the passion of Jesus Christ. It, it has started to happen at this time. What does it feel like to have all the world's evil come upon you? 
I don't know, I will never know. Jesus knew. That's why his soul is in agony, even to the point of death. Because the sin of the world, your sin, is coming upon him. He's in agony because of you and me. And every other person who's ever lived, that's why he's in agony. Number two, why the agony here in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why the the sweat mixed with blood, the extreme uh, stress? Number two, uh, thanks, Caillou. Uh, The sorrow of the world coming upon Jesus. This one's real simple. The verse is from also from Isaiah 53. He carried our sorrows. Can you imagine Jesus carried your sorrows? Many times, as a Christian, you simply need to embrace the truth of the Bible when you are in a place of depression. And and I'm not into scripture pills. I'm not. I'm not one of those guys. But the fact of the matter is, at some point, you need to take the Bible seriously. And when you're in a place of great discouragement, you have to, wait, why am I so sorrowful? Jesus carried my Sorrows, that's what the Bible says. It's a really important thing with me. When you come from a family that goes generations back with issues of mental illness and depression, it's a wonderful promise. It says, Jesus carried my sorrow. But can you imagine being Jesus when you're carrying all the sorrow of every man and woman in this room much less, and that you've ever had, much less the sorrow of the world. This is why Jesus is agonizing to the point of death. He carried your sorrow. It's because of you and me. Number three, why the agony of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus would suffer a separation from the Father. He would suffer a separation from the Father. Consider this, okay? Psalm 1611, there are messianic psalms, messiah psalms, that were written before Jesus came into the world in the flesh, and it speaks of Jesus, and it even has him talking, like what's in his mind. This is one of them, Psalm 16. By the way, short psalm, great to memorize. Remember, last Friday... And and, uh, no, yeah, last Friday in August, we're having another scripture memory night. This would be a good, uh, it's either that or it's the Friday before Labor Day, actually, maybe the first Friday in September. We're having another scripture memory night on Zoom on a Friday night. Psalm 16, great, great psalm to memorize. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, Jesus, after he died, resurrected and went, ascended into heaven, where did he go? Shout it out. To the right hand of God. So this is Jesus speaking. It also can be you speaking. A psalm a day will keep the devil away. It really, it really will. I mean, you start to embrace these psalms. Your, your life will be strengthened. In your presence is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that's Jesus for all eternity prior to coming to, um, coming to Bethlehem, entering, breaking into human history. That's what Jesus' life was like. Now, 
Think about that and move down to, go down to, go flip over. We're going to flip to your right to Mark chapter 15, um, verse 34. Jesus now on the cross. He's on the cross in Mark 15, 34. It says until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, hour, Jesus cried out. He's on the cross now, hanging on the cross. He's got an iron spike through his right hand, his left hand, his feet. He's got a crown of thorns. And he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So there is a separation. There's a separation that happens and the reason for it is, is because when the sin is, 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 is you would say, imputed to Jesus, he, he did not become a sinner, but somehow it was transferred to him. And at some point, there's a separation from God, and from God the Father, and, and he had to go through that. When he, and he knew it was ha- going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew it was within hours it was going to happen. And he's sorrowful even to the point of death in such extreme uh, distress that there's blood in- intermingling with his sweat. That's why the agony in the garden. Number four, the agony in the garden. Jesus would suffer the wrath of God in your place. The wrath has already begun here in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's going to climax on the cross. Remember where we were last week. What did we say? Go back to verse 27 of here, uh, Mark chapter 14. Um, It says in verse 27, go back to verse 27. This is on the way out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What did we say about that part of the verse? I will strike the shepherd. Who is the I? Shout it out. God the Father. I will, God the Father will strike the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? So I will strike the shepherd. I will strike the shepherd. Meaning the punishment that you deserved, God is just. He's holy and he's just. The Bible says he doesn't just let sin go unpunished. He would be denying that he's God. He would be denying he's holy. He would be denying he's just if he just let your sin go unpunished. The Bible says that God suffered, Jesus Christ suffered your punishment so that you wouldn't have to. And so he suffers the punishment for our sin. Kayo, if we can go down to the Spurgeon quote. Charles Spurgeon said this, all hell was distilled into that cup of which God and which our God and Savior Jesus Christ was made to drink. He literally tasted hell for you. The penalty of sin is death and hell. Jesus tasted it for you. He's drinking. He started to, this cup is starting to come in on him. And, and, and he's in agony here. Um, Isaiah 53 verse 10, again, predicting the cross, says this. It's a strange verse for many people. A lot of people struggle with this verse. They said, wait, that's not my God. But it is 
your God, who said this, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Lord meaning God the Father, him, Jesus. It pleased. Why did it please him? Not because he's a masochist and likes to torture people. Because he loves you. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, God the Father, has put him, Jesus the Son, to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. So why is Jesus in agony in the garden? He knew the wrath of God was coming upon him. Number five. This one's a little easier. Satanic, demonic opposition and temptation against Jesus. Remember in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is tempted by the, uh, Satan three times. Each time, G- um, Jesus successfully withstands the temptation. Uh, Satan says to him, if you're really the son of God, take these rocks over there and turn them to bread. And Jesus said, uh, he quoted Deuteronomy, man does not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, it's, and then remember, remember what it says? He says this in Matthew or Luke. It, it says, then Satan left to when? To an opportune time. And so that opportune time, among others, is right here, right in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all the way up to the cross. Uh, another psalm which speaks of the mind of what's going on in the mind of Jesus, actually, when he is on the cross, Psalm 22, this is actually Jesus, what's going through his mind on the cross, it's speaking about demonic entities that have surrounded him. Many bulls have surrounded me, Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. We know from 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, that raging and roaring lion is, is a Peter, it's Apostle Peter picks that up in his book. It represents the devil himself. And, 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 and listen, this is no easy thing. This is no, it, it's, it, 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 it you know, when we look at, as we, as we compare number one through six, yeah, uh, being separated from God and, and the f- feeling of being forsaken from God, that's terrible. But having every demon in hell coming against you, he knows it's coming. That's why he's in agony. Number six, which many of us would have just chosen as number one, but it's actually the last on my list. It's just the physical pain and suffering of the cross. He, when he got to the cross, he was unrecognizable. Why? Because he was beaten all, around, all along the way. Again, in Psalm 22, it speaks of Jesus. Um, when he's on the cross, what, what's going through his mind? And it says here, it says, I am poured out like water. This is what Jesus is thinking when he is on the cross. He's in tremendous physical pain. Not to mention emotional pain, spiritual pain, if there's such a thing. But he's just really going through it. But physically, how hard it must have been on the cross. Well, here's the description. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue 
clings to my jaws. They offered him um, sour wine mixed with gall, and he, he turned it down. He didn't want to have to make the, 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 the offering easier. And, 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 and so you have brought me to the dust of death where dogs surround me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. And then it says um, right here, a thousand years before Jesus was born, it says this, they pierce my hand and my feet. Just the pain of that alone. So why is Jesus? Why this agony in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why? These are the reasons why. He's doing everything necessary for you to enter into an eternal relationship with him. Now, I'm going to call the worship team up at this point. Worship team, could you come up? And if you've been asked to pray, could you come up? All this is very heavy. When we embrace it and we give our lives to Jesus, though, the heaviness is replaced by joy. On the night before he was crucified, he, he made this extraordinary statement in John chapter 15. He says, all these teachings I've given you, I've given you so that you would have joy, my joy. Without joy, we're in deep trouble. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our strength. We sang about joy in the worship set this morning. But I want to read two verses for you from the book of John, John chapter 3. The, the first is the most famous verse, at least for Christians there is. Very simple. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, which begins the moment you ask Jesus into your life. A lesser quoted verse is in the same chapter. It's John chapter 3, verse 36. It says this, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath, meaning the anger, the judgment of God, remains on him. That's a reference to hell or the judgment of hell remaining upon a person. You know, Jesus talked a lot about hell more than any other person in the Bible. And it's not popular nowadays to teach on hell or judgment or even believe it. But Jesus taught on it repeatedly. It's a lot easier to believe in the doctrine once you've gone through the list that we went through today. Why was Jesus in agony? Why was he in agony? Because the sin of the whole world, even your sin, went upon him. Why was he in agony? Because the sorrow, your sorrow, he carried it. Why was he in agony? Because he was suffering a separation from God the Father for you, to win you back. Why was he in agony? Because Jesus would suffer the punishment of God in your place. Why was he in agony? Because of the demonic 
opposition all around him. Why was he in agony? Just the physical pain and suffering on the cross. And you're going to reject him when you're offered? When he said, the Bible says he knocks on the door of your heart? And for no cost whatsoever, meaning you can't pay anything. You can't give him anything other than your whole heart, and not 99% of it, but your whole heart. You're going to reject him? God is God, and there are eternal consequences for that. But the Bible says if you knock on, Revelation 3.20, Jesus knocks on the door of your heart. If you, anyone who opens that door, he will come in and he will eat with them. He, that just speaks to that relationship, that knowing, that Abba Father. Dad, Papa, that soul language that you can have with God. If you've never done that in your life, we have a prayer time now. Come up during the worship time. Why don't, don't you all stand up? We'll, we'll sing a song together. If you've never done that, come up. If there's anything else on your heart that you would like to pray for at this time, anything, really, anything on your mind you'd like to pray for, something stirred in your heart, you just want to get up here and you want to thank God, you want to praise God, come on up while we, while we worship the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you in Jesus' name for this time. Oh, Lord Jesus, what you did for us. Thank you for bringing it into focus. Thank you for the clarity. Thank you for just making it clear in your word. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.